and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todders and Aaron McIntyre are here, and you are here as well, and you are you. 888-933-93 is the number. You know, YOLO, so why not tune into this show, right? I mean, what else do you have to lose? 888-933-93. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. You can try liking us on Facebook, but whatever. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. For those of you listening via the podcast, that's D-E-A-C-E. If you are listening to us today via the podcast, if you've got time to leave us a five-star review, we would be very grateful. Uh, we've had thousands of you do this for us. Thank you. Because the more of those we get, the more the algorithms help us. It's kind of weird too. You know, it's like, well, I can't hire you, kid. You have no experience. Well, how do I get experience unless you hire me? Or you ever notice the girls in school liked you more when you already had a girlfriend? Or now they want you to offer you that job when you already have one. That's apparently how everything in this world works. The algorithms work the same. Uh, the more of you that like us independent of the algorithms, the more the algorithms are like, hey, we should help them find more people. Well, and the more people that we find, the more likely you are to get to continue to do this. And I don't think you want us out on the streets. I don't think you guys have any idea what Erzin is capable of in that kind of a setting. All right, I'm just gonna throw that out there. Hashtag savage, all right? So keep Todd off the streets and give us a five-star like, please, uh, wherever you choose to podcast from. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, you know, we spent an entire overtime recently talking about this guy's column. So if we thought it was worth that level of discussion, how about we have the guy on himself that wrote it? And his name is John Zamerick. We've had him on this show in the past. Wrote an interesting criticism of Amy Coney Barrett, who has a lot of celebrity status right now uh, in the conservative movement. And and I'm going to let him explain it. And then I might get out of the way and let you kind of hmm. uh, go back and forth with him. Because I feel sort of weird here because it, it reads like a, a kind of a stereotypical Protestant criticism of a Catholic, except it's actually written about a Catholic by a Catholic. And I don't, and and I kind of found it, I, I found myself actually defending her a little bit. So I'm totally confused. So I'm probably just going to maybe let, I'm going to introduce him, let him give his take, and then I might let you guys just kind of, you know, have your own little enclave right here on the show and see if we can't figure this thing out for our audience. All right. But John's basic argument is slow your roll on Amy Coney Barrett as Trump's next Supreme Court nominee. So we'll get into that a little bit later on. Also, three non-political questions. Theology Thursday, one of our listeners has asked us to answer a question, and we will. But before we get to any of that, here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Making Nickelback Great Again. President Trump posted this video on his Twitter feed yesterday. Have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. Look at this photograph Every time I do it makes me laugh How did our eyes get so red? And what the hell is on Joey's head? The New York Times published a piece of journalism yesterday in which they revealed that Congressman Adam Schiff actually got an early account of the whistleblower complaint against President Trump 
before it was released. The Times story also signaled that Schiff and his staff actually helped the whistleblower in the formulation of the complaint. Corey Lewandowski went on Fox Nation to talk about impeachment. Well, what we know is this, is little Adam Schiff, who's the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, already knew about the whistleblower complaint. And what we know is that the rules of the whistleblower complaint had changed in August of this year, which said you no longer have to have firsthand knowledge of what's going on. And what that tells me is maybe the whistleblower is close to John Brennan. Maybe he's an acolyte of John Brennan. What we know is this president has gone after. John Brennan hates the president. Of course he does. With a blinding passion. Yes, he does. And Kennedy, don't forget, we know that the the whistleblower is a former CIA agent Mm -hmm. who is detailed to the NSC, Mm -hmm. who's probably back at the CIA, who hates this president more than they love their country. And the fact is they never had any first-hand account of what transpired. Corey? Yes? Did you have a little Merlot with dinner? No, should I have? <laughs> you sound a little slurry. You sound a little Biden-esque. No, look, look, what, I, what I'm mad about, Kendi, is that... In gun-grabbing news, something called the March for Our Lives Gun Safety Forum took place yesterday. We know what we have to do. The question is, how do we make sure that this time really is different? Because every time we say this time is different. And all of the plans, of course, I think my plan is the best. So does everybody else. All of them are multiplied by zero if we don't actually get something done. And so this is not just a question about policy. This is a question about power. Video surfaced yesterday of Michigan Representative Rashida Tlaib touring Detroit Police's new facilities for facial recognition programming when she said this. And also, analysts need to be African Americans, not people that are not. Because let me tell you, no, it happens all the time. Okay. Uh, it's true. Okay. I mean, I think I think non-African Americans think African Americans all look the same. I've seen it even on the house floor. People calling Elijah Cummings John Lewis and John Lewis Elijah Cummings, and they're totally different people. I'm just saying. Well, I see it all the time, and I love them because they like go along with it. <laughs> well, I trust people I know. who are trained. I know. Regardless I, of I race. Just, Regardless of gender, it's about the training. But it does make a huge difference. That exchange is priceless. Tlaib claims only black people should be allowed to operate facial recognition software since all white people think that all black people look the same. Good gravy. Hillary Clinton compared the decision to stay in her marriage to what? Why was that out of... All the things you've done, the gutsiest thing you've done personally. Well, look, I think everybody knows it was an incredibly painful uh, time and experience uh, for us. And I've lived long enough that I've had lots of friends go through similar experiences, but not on the world stage. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had a friend a few years ago who called up and said, I, I don't know who to talk to about this, but my little girl wants to be a boy. Mm-hmm. What do I do? And... You know, several of us kind of, we didn't know what to do. We'd never had a friend who'd faced that before. And several of us kind of read everything, talked to people, and gave her advice. And it was really gutsy for her to say, okay, I'm going to respect the feelings of my child. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is, did Bill actually wear the blue dress? Bill usó realmente el vestido azul. And finally, I think it's a good idea to spend a good chunk of the montage talking about the following story. On September 6th, 2018, off-duty Dallas police officer Amber Geiger entered the apartment of Botham Jean, then shot and killed him. Geiger claimed she had entered the apartment believing it to be her own and thought Jean was a burglar. 
On Tuesday, Geiger was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Yesterday, during the formal victim impact statement hearings, Botham Jean's brother, Brant, talked directly to the woman who killed his brother. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what—that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by realestateagentsitrust.com. If you want to take advantage of a booming real estate market and plunging mortgage rates, now is the time, particularly because winter is coming. However, before you go all in, make sure you have signed up with an agent that you can trust. And that's why realestateagentsitrust.com was created. There's all kinds of other referral services out there, but they're usually about helping agents find clients. This one is different. How do you find an agent worthy of having you for a client? And you don't get on this website enlisted as an agent unless your track record for success has been fully vetted and proven, unless you have proven that you understand there's more to a marketing plan than just holding open houses, and unless you have proven that you also know what the term professional courtesy means. You return calls, messages, texts, etc. All right, so if you want to find a real estate agent that you can trust, here's where you need to go to find that person. Realestateagentsitrust.com. It's a long name, but memorable. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Let's get to Aaron's montage and let, let's start at the back. Because if, if the gospel of Jesus Christ is not true, that video doesn't make any sense. And Brant is either a fool um, or worse. And this is, th- that, this is always why the gospel has made people uncomfortable. There isn't a place for, an, for you to middle it. There's not, a, there's not an accommodation point except the one that makes us the most uncomfortable. Love our neighbors, we love ourselves. 
love your enemies, the stuff that we don't instinctively like to do are the, are the only accommodation points that it provides because it's counter to our nature. It's counter to how the world system operates. I got an email from one of our listeners this morning saying they posted that video on their Facebook page and they were just, they were intrigued by what they saw. And there were a lot of people that might politically even agree with him that thought it, the guy was an idiot. And then there were all kinds of folks that, were, that he were, were posting that were from the left and were like, no way should a black man overlook that level of racial injustice done to his brother by a white person. And, the, and he asked me a question. What do you do when, when people are exposed to that level of grace and they still just ignore it or run over it. Well, you know, our Lord gave us the answer to that. When, when, when we're exposed to that level of conviction, that level of grace, that level of righteousness, all of those things simultaneously. And, and there's no way out but to accept it or walk away. When people still walk away, you kick the dust off your sandals and you move on. And they have hardened their own hearts at that point, Pharaoh, and it is what it is. And that's, that's what makes people, made me uncomfortable with this. The idea that it really truly is an either or. At the immortal words of C.S. Lewis, you can call him a liar, a lord, a lunatic, a poached egg, but you can't say he was a good moral teacher. It's one or the other. What was he? What's driving Brant Jean? Insanity? You love his brother more than he does? You hurt over the loss of his brother more than he does? I get. I mean, those are, that's essentially what you're saying if you scoff at what he is doing. There is only one rational explanation. Gospel must be true. Every other explanation you'd have to choose is irrational. That you care more about what happened to his brother than he does. Did that seem like a sane individual to you? Did Like we saw that clip of Corey Lewandowski. I've, you know, it's funny. Here's why I wanted us to put it in the montage. Does that sound any different than Corey Lewandowski sounds every other time he's ever been on the air? I, I, I didn't think he looked or sounded any different than any other time I've ever heard him on uh, speak. I mean, I, so <laughs> maybe a few more slurs, but yeah, I didn't see any differences to me. Okay. Um, but did, did Brandt seem out of sorts to you? Did he seem insane? No. Did he seem unstable to you, Aaron or Todd? No, no. Did he seem totally in his right mind to you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what would, what would, what would possess or drive that level of forgiveness? It doesn't come from within our native species. It doesn't come within us on a natural level. Social media exposes that all of the time. I think the judge 
actually wrestled with the exact conundrum you're talking yeah. about within that pause of however many seconds it was because we've seen things go bad in courtrooms where right. an angry father sure. and she's thinking it through can I let this happen it's I don't insane blame it. and I, I think that's being uh, that's being judicious I, I know. think it's being prudent but then I yeah. think she said no it's actually insane not to recognize yeah. for this what it is I think you nailed it on that um let's let's delve into the the pure political realm you know, I want to take you and I back, Todd, to the summer of 2015. And you and I mulling over privately, could I really, truly go with Trump? Could I really do it, right? And some of the conversations we had about that privately uh, that spring and summer. And... And one of the selling points that we had discussed at the time as we were, you know, we didn't like make a formal list, but mentally that's what we were doing. We were having a back and forth positives versus the negatives, Mm -hmm. right? The biggest positive of them all was that he seemed willing to engage in the level of political chicanery that was necessary to truly push back against these leftists, right? In, in that was, short, he would go there. He would go there. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And then then the debate became would we have enough influence and stuff within that operation that we would we would be able to steer it to go there in a direction that would be constructive as as opposed to destructive, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, it was stuff like that we thought we could get him to do. Okay. I mean, that, that you know what's funny is I watch him do stuff. I can't tell you names you would know. I mean, I try to. I'll just tell you. I try to get Ted Cruz to do stuff like this. I mean, I, I spent a lot of my career trying to get real good conservatives to push back at this visceral of a level culturally, and they just won't do it. Some of it is they they. Some of it is they're just not comfortable with that level of hand to hand, you know, personality driven, and that's what makes them good conservatives. They didn't get into this necessarily to promote a particular political brand. They got into this because they are, you know, they, they believe in our values. That's what they're here to fight for. And and now you're, and now, you know, they got into this and now you're kind of telling them, Hey, we kind of need you to make this more personal if you don't mind. And they're like, well, I, I'm, that's really not my space, <laughs> you know? So I, I, that's part of it. The other part of it is you run into people and they just find out they don't have the balls to do it. And, or they just, you know, don't want to fight the other side that, that much because in many respects they tend to agree with them more than you and i they just lie to us about it right on everybody on both sides has a lie in their head about what it means to be presidential right right but i'll I'll tell you this if now i don't know what all the facts are okay I, i don't i don't know what transpired here and i am learning i'm drinking from a fire hose and learning all of what's happening or alleged to have not happened or occurred in the in real time with everyone else all right this is not so this is not a moral statement well it it it's not a moral validation is what i mean to say okay i'm not morally saying that i believe in trump's innocence i am certainly inclined though based on the evidence we're seeing so far to believe that this is another coordinated hit job. And the story now that the whistleblower and Adam Schiff of all people, like you couldn't have called someone with some 
And, and any Democrat name I mention, one of you is going to email me, terrible person, right? I, I, I know that you're going to do that, okay? But is there, you couldn't have called somebody with like, you know, a Patrick Leahy, some who has some notion of being some kind of res, respectable figure. You know what I'm saying? Of all people, the whistleblower discussed this with the most partisan hack of, the, of, of all of the partisan hacks. What, Ocasio-Cortez didn't pick up the phone? Okay. Adam Schiff, really? Really? What's Occam's razor tell you about what the whistleblower thinks? I mean, goodness gracious. Forget peeing on me and telling me it's raining. You're peeing on me and telling me it's a drought. All right, you call Adam Schiff? You worked with, of all people, no... What, you want, next time, just work work with Rachel Maddow next time. All right, cut out the middleman here. Okay, I mean, really? Adam Schiff really is the point, man? There was just no other Democrat with like any, any, even, even when they, when they went with Dianne Feinstein last time, even she was like, I don't even know if these allegations are true, right? Even she said that. Okay. Like on the Kavanaugh thing. Now we're just, you know what? Let's just go right to the source. Let's face it. This is all just going to run through Schiff's office anyway. So let's just go ahead and get him on the group text party line. I mean, goodness gracious. Now coordination, which is obvious, doesn't necessarily correlate to innocence, right? Correct. That doesn't necessarily mean that this is another scam, but it certainly provides some doubt that that it very well likely is, okay? That all notwithstanding. I'm not afraid of transparency. I don't have, I'm fine just letting the process play itself out and learning new facts like the whistleblower and Adam Schiff spoke ahead of time. Well ahead of time, in fact. Okay? That notwithstanding, if if I were in the campaign and I fully believed in my guy, what I would urge them to do, like for example, I had my one of the first ideas I gave to Ted is I I, I gave him an idea for an ad called endorsement. And it was like all of, it was like, um, all of these establishment media people at National Review and Fox News losing their damn minds over Ted Cruz. And so we're going to run this ad. You've been endorsed. Okay. You're the candidate the Republican establishment hates the most. And we're just going to use all of these clips and all of these headlines. And man, we're, and, and it's going to be your Joni Ernst squeal ad. She never even, she didn't have any money when she ran that ad. She couldn't put it on TV. They just put it on the internet and it went viral. All right. And that's how she got a U.S. Senate seat off of that ad. She had no money to run it on television in Iowa. She had no money. We, we got like one top 80 television market in this state. All right. She didn't have the money to run it. And yet everywhere you go in America, Joni Ernst is primarily known by what? Squeal. That ad. Yeah. Okay. Now, Ted Cruz was printing money. So I'm like, we're going to do this ad. It, I could get nobody to go along with me on it. Okay. So if, if I were in this operation... And they came to me and said, hey, comms guy, what should we do? If I was in this operation, and I would only be in it because I really believed in my guy, right? If I really believed in my guy, the ads you've seen the last two days are the ads we would have done. That blistering ad that we talked about a couple of days ago, and I'm glad you made it a point of order to ask me, hey, you like that ad, don't you? That's exactly the stuff I would do. The Nickelback thing with the pop culture crossover, it's appropriately cheesy, mm-hmm. okay? Absolutely, that's what I would do. Yeah. This is, and it's, um, 
See, because it, it's Sun Tzu, the art of war, where, where your opponent believes, it, it, what your opponent believes is their strength, attack. Right? I mean, essentially you could sum up Sun Tzu's art of war with contrarianism. And see, they think this is their realm. The use of pop culture devices, humor, snark, sarcasm. That, that's, they think this is exclusively their property. Well, over here, we're talking about, um, you know, I read in uh, Federalist uh, 94 uh, during the invocation last night. You know, that, that's and why? Because that's how it's operated. You know, I wrote rules for patriots six years ago. And one of the things I point out in there, they're over there, you're a racist, misogynist, a homophobic bigot. The guy you want to win is standing up. Well, I don't want to. Uh, and yes, I'm using the uh, gangster rap uh, stereotype of uh, uh, tight-butted white people voice on purpose. All right. I uh, don't want to uh, impugn the uh, character and motives of uh, my esteemed opponent. You're a racist and you want to burn gays. Well, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't go that far. You've already lost. You lost already. You already lost. And I also think it's indicative of why he's just more comfortable fighting over impeachment than his wall and on issues, because this is his, this is his native habitat and they're not going to beat him at this. They're, they're not, you can't, you're not going to beat Donald Trump. If you give him an opponent one-on-one -on, -one on a personal level, you are not, he is the last son of Krypton, man, that good. And it's a collection of things. There's some ballsiness, a lot of shamelessness, all right? Um, he, and, and he empowers people around him who can be creatively pugilistic in this arena. And I can think of someone I know fairly well who is creatively pugilistic, which is why he considered at some point actually lining up with this, all right? Because of moments like this. And it's what drives them insane because see if you take the this if you take the the theater and the stagecraft away from them, they have to talk about substance. And they've this all this whole thing that we have seen the left devolve to in our lifetimes, beginning with political correctness, has all been with one goal in mind, never having to debate substance. I don't have to debate racists, I don't have to debate misogynists, homophobes, xenophobes, I don't. Everybody who disagrees with me is automatically a racist. There's no other, no other position you would have. I read this piece at Mediate yesterday who's a, who's a, who, who fancies themselves an objective, but they're fairly left of center, uh, media, you know, kind of gadfly uh, website. And they're talking about my buddy Todd Starnes over at Fox News not getting his contract removed renewed and i read the story about this last night i by the way i, I communicated with todd last evening he's gonna land on his feet and be just fine but um i i read the piece they said that uh, these these comments are just too hot for fox i'm like these are all things we have said on our show in like the last week and they're instantly labeled as racist and everything else see that's the game I mean, it's Rashida Tlaib lecturing the black yep. police chief in Detroit on racism, okay? He's the black police chief of Detroit. Yes, I'm sure he's not, he's unaware of what racism is. He's the black police chief of Detroit. All of this has been about, I don't have to bother debating you or risk losing because you're beneath contempt. 
I don't have to take you seriously. And it's moments like this when Trump is at his best because he hits them back with their own scam. And now they're forced to, with that off the table, what else does the New York Times have to report? Nothing. Except, well, I guess we got to tell you the truth. Adam Schiff was coordinating with the whistleblower the entire time. It's out. Because he takes all of their knuckle-dragging tendencies are off the table. They're gone. He's shameless. He doesn't care what names you call him. And so now they have to actually have a debate on the merits of their claims. They don't know how to do that. Because they control all the systems. We just deny you tenure. Want to push back on us academically? You're out of tenure. I bake the cake, bake it. Everything is about authority, is about coercive force and shame. And when they, when they don't have access to that coercive force or they can't shame you, there is no other, there's not another pitch. They don't have a change up, a curveball. And, and, you're, and you, I think you've watched that play itself out this week. Now, they're going to go through this. There's no question. We're going to have an impeachment vote. It's going to pass in the House and then it's going to go to the Senate. The, the die is cast. They have nothing else they can do. Because Trump's not good at talking about issues. Some of them he doesn't, because he doesn't even believe in some of them. They can't talk about issues because the American people oppose them on almost everything they really believe in. So there's going to be nothing else for them to do other than, other than this impeachment. And man, unless they've got like the Zapruder film, he's going to politically clean their clocks over this. Because this level of, of street fight is right in his wheelhouse. So they better have the goods. Or they're gonna get clocked. More in a moment. You know those annoying robocalls you're getting right now. I keep getting them too, even though I'm I'm told I'm on I'm uh, you know on every do not call list, and yet they keep coming in. All right. So be careful with these. Uh, these are attempts to get a hold of some of your identification information. Now, you might think I've got identity theft protection. I don't have to worry about that. And, and that's good. You should have it in this day and age. And so while they wouldn't necessarily be able to take out a PayPal account or uh, a Venmo or a credit card in your name, uh, what they do have, though, is the information that you use to identify yourself when you go online and do business anywhere. So take, for example, what's the most valuable investment most Americans have? Their own home. And that's why the FBI is warning about home title fraud. These scammers get your personal info. They go online where our mortgages and home uh, titles are kept. Uh, They log in as if they're you and then make it look like you sold your home to them. They then liquidate all of that equity you've been storing up for a retirement nest egg, uh, for a special occasion, a daughter's wedding, uh, home improvement, uh, just as an investment, whatever the case may be, the money is now gone. And then they stick you with the late payments, maybe even a foreclosure notice on your home. Don't let that happen to you for pennies a day. Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. If they detect anything nefarious whatsoever, they will immediately act to protect you. And get 60 risk-free days of protection right now at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. We've had John Zamerica on this show in the past, and he's written a couple of the books in one of my favorite series of books, The the Politically Incorrect Guides. Uh, His latest is The Politically Incorrect Guide to Immigration. And John joins us now here uh, on Blaze TV radio and podcast. And it's good to have you back with us, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Steve. It's good to be on. So you wrote a piece about a week ago, and 
I found it so fascinating. We have this little extra overtime show we do post episode, kind of give our subscribers a little extra, if you will. And we spent that entire extra episode talking about your piece. And it's oh. about Amy Coney Barrett uh, and, and why she may not be the safe pick for the Supreme Court that we are being sold. You wrote this over at Human Events about a week ago. And rather than having me kind of you know, run down what I found interesting about it, I want you to tell us, give our audience kind of a summation of, of why you wrote this piece and what's in there. Let's start there. Sure. First of all, she seems like a wonderful person. She seems like a basically conservative judge. Um, I was reluctant to raise these questions because I saw the battering she took from overtly anti-Catholic senators, Maisie Hirono and Dianne Feinstein. Um, but I was forced to re-examine this because, you know, John Roberts seemed like a really wonderful person. Frankly, Anthony Kennedy did. Um, Sandra Day O'Connor. Uh, these were people appointed by Republican presidents who look good on paper. And I don't think Ronald Reagan was trying to stack the court with liberals when he picked people like David Souter. So we need to hold the executive branch, the president, accountable for doing a serious vetting job of judicial appointments. Now, I was troubled by a paper that Amy Barrett co-wrote with John, I think his name is John Garvey, current president of Catholic University. She was a law student at the time, but she signed it. She put her name on it. And it's, it, it, was, it came out shortly after Pope John Paul II issued one document changing the Catholic Church's teaching on, on the death penalty. Going back to the covenant of Noah, the Jewish Christian tradition has allowed for the death penalty. The Catholic Church allowed for it. It was on the books of the Vatican City State into the late 60s. Um, as recently as, as the 1950s, Pope Pius XII very clearly said, this is right. He even called for the, the hanging of the criminals from Nuremberg. He urged that it be speeded up. He said that the state is the legitimate avenger of crime. Pope John Paul II issued one document, an encyclical, saying, no, you should never do the death penalty unless it's the last possible resort to protect society. Amy Barrett signed a paper saying that in the light of this one document from a pope reversing his predecessor's teachings, every Catholic judge who was in the position to enforce the death penalty would have to recuse himself because it would violate his conscience. Now, I hope she's reconsidered that. Her testimony for her confirmation for the federal bench in it, she said she doesn't agree with every particular of the paper, but she didn't renounce its central thesis. Its central contention is that Catholic judges must recuse themselves if their Catholic conscience, as informed by the Pope, conflicts with the U.S. Constitution. And my question is, what about immigration? Pope Francis is obsessed with immigration. He just put this Stalinist propaganda statue of migrants in St. Peter's Square. He has denounced every attempt by any Western nation to limit immigration. He, he specifically condemned President Trump while he was campaigning for talking about building a wall. There is not a single U.S. Catholic bishop who supports, as far as I've seen, the, the enforcement of America's democratically passed just immigration laws. Even the most conservative bishops condemn it. 
And there's a reason for that. First, there's pressure from Pope Francis. Second, 40% of U.S. Catholic bishops' income in 2018 came from federal contracts, almost all of that to serve immigrants. So essentially, the whole Catholic infrastructure is dependent on federal money flowing through the channel of immigration. And that's why the bishops talk incessantly about immigration and almost never mention abortion or religious freedom or same-sex marriage. My question is, if Pope Francis changes the church's teaching on immigration to say Catholics must support open borders, if he does what John Paul II did on the death penalty, will Amy Barrett feel the need to recuse herself on cases, crucial cases, of immigration where the president's trying to enforce our law as is his constitutional duty? I don't know. I didn't, I was not satisfied with the answers she gave in her confirmation hearing. I wasn't satisfied by Ed Whalen's piece at National Review. I've gotten a huge amount of hostility and abuse over this from my fellow Catholics, tell, basically saying, shut up, she's one of us. You know, don't betray the tribe. None of them offered any, any valid or persuasive arguments. Um, some of them even said, of course she should follow the Catholic Church and not the Constitution. Well, I don't think Amy Barrett would vote against the Constitution because of her Catholic conscience, but she has said a judge like her should recuse if something like this happens, I would like the president's team to ask her, will you support the Constitution on immigration, even if Pope Francis tells you not to? I don't think that's too much to ask. Okay, so here's what I found fascinating about your argument, is I'm an evangelical. And so my editor, you're gonna, we're going we're to hear from him in a second, who joins us on the show every day, Todd, is like you, a pretty devout conservative Catholic. And one of the things, we did this a lot uh, back in, uh, in, in 2017, where we had the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So we actually had some of the real debates the Reformation was about on the air, as opposed to the stereotypes both sides of the divide tend to throw out about each other. So when I read your, your column, John, it, it read to me like some of the stereotypical criticisms my fellow Protestants will have about Catholics. They don't, won't follow the Bible. They'll do whatever the Pope says. They'll just go in lockstep. You know, so if it's a bad Pope, we're screwed. Okay. I mean, I, I, you know, it, when JFK ran for president, Protestants didn't want to vote for, uh, you know, a, a candidate that, uh, that listened to the Pope. And then when Rick Santorum was here running in Iowa uh, several years ago, or when we've had other conservative Catholics, then we're like, well, we kind of hope he listens to the Pope and not the liberal bishops we hear from in the media all the time. So there's a lot of confusion about this. So I want, now that you You've kind of heard the context of why John wrote this, Todd. What's your response now, having had a chance to hear it from him? Well, John, you're never a shrinking violet, and that's one thing I uh, uh, love about you. I think one thing right out of the gate, now you don't write the headlines, but if I remember the initial article, it pretty much makes the same statement in the headline. You didn't say it may not be suitable. I think you said, I think it, it's, you said it appears she isn't suitable i said safe i said safe oh, safe as and we absolutely know that she's suitable i said she is not safe okay. without having this question answered okay that's why i want to be specific about your language and i i think that's when i i mean 
every question you brought up, I think, was reasonable and not only reasonable, a must for any conservative to bring up and sooner rather than later, because we know how these things go. They just you it's going to be tribalism uh, personified once we get to the uh, end of things. And it almost isn't going to matter what she or anybody else believes. We got to right. vet her earlier. Uh, uh but uh, it, it, do you think that's one reason why, like, people, I think you've already arrived at a place in a time when we I, having a judge is unfortunately more important than it really should be. But I think they think, most of your opponents think on this, even if they're conservative, think you've already arrived at a place that is premature. Is that the sense you're getting from them? Yeah, but they're, they're saying don't ask the question, that it's bigoted and know nothing to ask the question. Amy Barrett took a stand in this paper that is completely different from what Antonin Scalia and Alito and Clarence Thomas and the other good Catholic conservatives on the court have taken. None of them ever wrote in a law journal that a Catholic judge should feel bound in any way in the performance of his official duties by what the Pope says. She did. One Pope came out against the death penalty. She said Catholic judges no faithful Catholic judge could enforce the death penalty now. That strikes me as a bit of an extreme stance. It's certainly not what JFK took, but I, I think JFK actually was too secular in what he said. I, I, I think it's safer to follow Antonin Scalia, who said abortion's not in the Constitution. If it were, I would reluctantly support the enforcement of the Constitution and try to amend it. That's the correct constitutional stance. That's what your judicial vow that you take to enforce and defend the Constitution, that's what it requires. So if abortion were in the Constitution, it, the, an evil thing like that, the way slavery was once in the Constitution, a Catholic judge should reluctantly confirm what's in the Constitution while encouraging people to amend it. Would Amy Barrett vote to, for instance, hear a case and overturn the Ninth Circuit when they do something like enjoin the travel ban? Or would she feel like she was directly taking part in what Pope Francis called something that's intrinsically evil? And, and lest you really think I'm, I'm just making this up, there's a bishop in Texas, a bishop cites, who personally smuggles illegal immigrants across the border. He accompanies them. And he has publicly said that deporting an illegal immigrant is intrinsically evil like aborting a baby. This is the kind of rhetoric that's being used in Catholic circles by our highest authorities. I don't think a lot of non-Catholics or even ordinary Catholics on the street know that. But because I write about this, I did the politically incorrect guide to Catholicism, the politically incorrect guide to immigration. I've read thousands of words by these bishops. They are trying to smush together immigration with abortion and gun violence and health care all under this rubric of the seamless garment of life yeah. issues. Yeah. All yeah. issues are equivalent. And Amy Barrett cited the seamless garment positively as an authority in the paper that I'm talking about. All right. So, Todd, we probably got time for you to ask one more really good question. So make it your best one. Well, you've also mentioned that she's she has argued well on immigration in, in several cases in the past, which is why I think this is uh, worth following through on, because on the, not all issues are 
the, the where the where moral doctrine comes in from an ex cathedra perspective, and then a Catholic needs to understand that a pre a, even the Pope in encyclicals isn't always speaking ex cathedra. The Catholic Church still fundamentally at its core does not believe that the death penalty is immoral. Uh, I agree with, and, and and therefore those are the things we need to work through. So right. I, I, again, what what is the, I ask you to pose a question? What's the most important thing you think Amy Comey Barrett needs to answer sooner rather than later in, in to tell you right. and everybody else that she understands the difference you and I are talking about here. Because she followed John Paul II when he said something that was an ex cathedra on the death penalty. It seems to me she has a higher level of papal deference to individual papal statements than other Catholics like Scalia. Okay. I would ask her, if Pope Francis changes the catechism of the Catholic Church to demand open borders, as many people think he's going to, will you commit to ignoring that and simply enforcing the Constitution? Or is there any danger, is there any circumstance under which you would feel the need to recuse yourself? You okay with that answer? Oh, it, it, it must be answered, absolutely. But it's clearly, any, people need to understand that any time the Pope speaks... Like uh, when he's on the airplane, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean that it's suddenly from the mouth of God. That, that's not how this works. That's not how anything this works. And, I, yeah. and I'm pretty sure she understands that as well, which is why she needs to answer the question John just posed. All right, John, I got a couple of minutes. Any final thoughts you want to relay to our audience about this before we let you go? Well, I just think it's really important to understand that from the top down, the Vatican is enforcing a leftist anti-American agenda. Pope Francis last week, praised an article attacking American evangelicals, the religious right, and the pro-life movement. He said American, some American conservative evangelicals aren't really even Christians. Um, his number one authority on, on Catholic social doctrine, Bishop Marcello Sarando, went to communist China, went on a tour, and came out and said that communist China is the best model on earth of living out Catholic social teaching, especially, he said, it's better than the United States. With a Vatican that is this openly anti-American and, and often aligned with George Soros, inviting Soros-funded population control people to speak at the Vatican, this has become an urgent issue in a way it hasn't been in maybe a hundred years. John Zamerick, uh, again, you can get his latest book, uh, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Immigration. I've got a whole shelf in my library at home uh, with, the, with this series of books. It's one of my favorites. Uh, John, good to have you back here on the show, man. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Your thoughts on the conversation before we get out of here? Well, was, uh, John is like a lot of Catholics these days that are just very unsettled by Pope Francis and with with reason but again that's not something uh, and that can fairly be hung around any other catholic in terms of what they are automatically going to think uh feel or believe we all have to work out our faith with fear and trembling and a judge is no different than anybody else uh it's interesting his word is unsafe and i didn't mean to uh, um mischaracterize if that uh we need to find that out sooner rather than later because if we don't know the answers to these questions by the time we get to the hearings uh we're never going to get to the bottom because it is going to be tribal all the way up to 11. Mm -hmm. he also made a point that uh we're gonna have theology thursday next segment yeah and we have a, a listener question we're going to answer um but he made a point that um i want to spend a, a few minutes about views of the law and legal theory. 
Uh, I want to spend a few minutes discussing that when we come back uh, next hour for Theology Thursday. There's a dangling participle in there I think we should probably address that I don't think we have time to get to right now. But if you are wondering why you're struggling to meet some of your weight loss goals, did you know your body was created to crave and conserve calories? Because it's only been a relatively new thing in human history that food was readily available for the masses. All right. Uh, So what do you do now when you decide, hey, I've I've been craving and consuming too many of those things, and it's time for me to now lose some weight and get healthier. Well, you got to make sure you're active. Okay, that helps. And maybe this time you're doing that, but it's always more about how much you eat, even more than your activity. You can't really outwork a terrible uh, a terrible eating lifestyle. And this is where Riduzone comes in. See, there is a chemical or a molecule in your body. It's called OEA. It's a signal that goes from the belly to the brain to let the brain know when you're full. And when we're doing it right and we've been eating right, it works just fine. But it's a little bit like when you go so long without exercise and you try to get active again and there's that loss of muscle memory and the atrophy and the soreness and it takes a good deal of time to get that going. You kind of have to start slow. Same thing is true with your metabolic rate. When you've just been dousing it with caloric activity and indulgence for so long, that molecule just kind of, well, use it or lose it, right? That's where Riduzone comes in. That's all it is, is OEA. It's not loaded with caffeine, stimulants, additives, preservatives of any kind, or even any chemicals. It's just OEA. That's why it's FDA accepted, vegan-friendly, gluten-free. All it is, is this molecule to boost that signal. Give you a little extra to get, uh, hey, send, send your body the message. Okay, you're serious about this. All right, let's, let's start doing this the way that it, uh, it was intended to uh, when, you were, when you came from the manufacturer. All right, get a 30-month supply or 30% off a three-month supply right now. 30% off a three-month supply when you use my name, Steve, as a promo code at riduzone.com. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, 30% off a three-month supply at riduzone.com. And we'll come back. Theology Thursday to lead off next hour and then three non-political questions right here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Stay tuned. With Hour 2, live and on demand on The Blaze, Steve Dace, Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin here with you. 888-933-93 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, three non-political questions. We will take a, a slight break from the decline and fall of Western civilization to figure out what trivialities have been uh, rolling around in the cavernous recesses of Aaron's dome. That doesn't mean you're brainless. It just means there's a lot of extra room uh-huh. in there. Exactly. We'll find out. Uh, which completely irrelevant topics he will like us to address. And heaven forbid, if you ask us for another Mount Rushmore, which now I pretty much guaranteed you're going to do. Yep. Right. That's how I know you put like no thought into it. Hey, uh, what's your uh, uh, your Mount Rushmore box tops, guys? What do you think? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I, I know you think that it is. I, I know that. Before we get to that, though, it's time for some Theology Thursday brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Mobile. You know, uh, we just went through, it was like a year ago at this time that the whole Brett Kavanaugh thing was going on. It was hitting its apex. And you're like, Steve, this just came up like a month ago. Yeah, I know. They brought it up again. Okay. And... When you look at what gets censored nowadays, what uh, it, it, we were talking earlier about the uh, the Nickelback 
Trump ad making Nickelback great mm-hmm. again. You know, you know how good that ad is. That that was the ad that Twitter decided to step in and enforce some form of, if it's terms of service to to shut a Trump tweet down. That's when you know. Right. That that's when you know that ad hit the mark. Is now Twitter suddenly found a term of service copyright violation with the ad. When I mean, how many numbskull esque crap has Trump put on Twitter over the years? Right. Now though, now that he hit the mark, now that he, he got him he hit the sweet spot, now suddenly, well, you know, we gotta take that down. That's another reminder when you have an opportunity to to do business with those who share your values. Take advantage of it. Pretty much everybody has to have a mobile phone nowadays. That's why you want to take a look at Patriot Mobile. It's America's only conservative, veteran-led mobile phone company. And with plans starting as low as 25 bucks a month, why wouldn't you be looking at making the switch, especially right now? Uh, there's still time for you to get that Moto Z3 Play for only $5 a month. Only 5 bucks a month right now for one of the highest, hottest items out there in, in tech. The Moto Z3 Play, $5 a month, but they're running out. So don't wait. And back by popular demand, they'll waive the activation fee on up to two lines. If you join, up to two lines, they'll now waive the activation fee for, but you got to use the promo code Blaze to get that offer. All right, so go to patriotmobile.com slash Blaze. Patriot Mobile, all the same national service you get from everybody else, same network everybody else has, but they've put almost $2 million of their profits back into the causes and values that you believe in, all right? PatriotMobile.com slash Blaze, all right? Get that great offer at PatriotMobile.com slash Blaze. So I've got a question from a listener we're going to address with the bulk of our Theology Thursday, but a fascinating conversation we just had with John Zamerick about his piece sounding a few alarm bells, or at least points of order, maybe, when you read the piece, it sounds like alarm bells, right? That's why yeah. we did the the that's why we did the whole overtime about right. it about a week ago. When you talk to him and you get his background of why he went there, it seems like it's more of uh, a, a lot of what we do on our show, where we're kind of the 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 voice in the corner saying, "Hey, can we get a point of order here?" Right. You know, be, before we all just go ahead and and start doing more of our works with faith thing, convinced in our own steam about how great our cause is and how right our strategy is, and God's just been waiting for our ingenuity to bless it. Could we could we answer a question or two first, just to make sure we're not you know going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe again? Right. Right. That's kind of the vibe I got from him. Yes. Which. You'll get no argument out of me. I'm I'm always okay with those sorts of questions. Well, I know? think he's successful. He writes to get people's attention, yes. and he did. And now you can see you can have a conversation with sure. Him. And the fact that the and when I hear the response he's getting from the very people he's trying to help, right? Yep. Boy, who does that? Did that sound like? How many times have we gotten that yeah. response? I mean, like, do you folks understand when we when we go after Republicans and question them from the right? We're doing this because I thought that's what we thought that's what you wanted them to do. As opposed to, that's my team. That's my quarterback, which is kind of the reaction he's getting. That's always a bad sign, by the way. You guys have been here, you've been here for about five years now, right? Mm -hmm. A little bit longer. Aaron, you've been here for almost three years, okay? right? Almost four. Almost four, all right. And all the time you guys have been here now, have you ever thought, has there ever been a time when us raising our finger for a contrarian point of order and the immediate response was, uh, tribalism. Have you, can you ever think of a time that the, the the eventual answer we got was good after that? Can you ever think of a time? No, no. I mean, the answer is always bad. Now, now that doesn't mean the answer is going to be bad here, okay? Because he's talking to you know his fellow Catholics, not to Amy Coney Barrett. 
But when your immediate answer is uh, hands off my hands off my uh, my idol, uh, you, for a guy like a John's Zamerick, I, I just know a thing or two about this. I may be wired similarly. If you want to get a guy like John Zamerick to stop sniffing around, that ain't the way <laughs> to do it. All right. You, you, if you had a better, because if you had a real answer, he'd be like, okay, I'll just move on to my next. Uh, I'll you know, check that one off the list. But when you tell him, that's my team. That's my quarterback. He's going to be like, yeah, I think maybe we got to maybe dig a little deeper into this. And he mentioned a name there too, Ed Whalen. And I've had some, a, a couple of run-ins with Ed Whalen. He works over at National Review. And I, he's one of these guys, the Republicans could nominate this camera I'm looking at, particularly if it was Catholic. And he would tell us it was great. And was the best the, judicial nominee we've ever had. He was the one who essentially doxed somebody in the, uh, like seriously doxed somebody yes. and threw somebody under the bus, bus during the uh, Kavanaugh yes. uh, debacle last yeah. year. Yes, yeah. Um, so that, I, I'm if he's your character, I don't know who a Republican president could nominate for a federal judgeship or a, a spot on the Supreme Court that Ed Whalen would oppose, especially if they were Catholic. I, I don't know what they could do. I, I, don't, I can't think of a time he has not defended a nominee. Do you think I'm being unfair? It's okay if you no, don't. No, 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 I don't. I don't. Okay. That doesn't mean, by the way, that Ed is always wrong. Like we said earlier, it's clear that there's coordination going on between Schiff, the media, and whoever the... It's pretty obvious mm-hmm. now, right? Doesn't mean that they're wrong, but it just means factor that into your analysis sure. when you start sure. looking at their claims, okay? Yeah. Similarly, it doesn't mean, by the way, because Ed has also supported some judges who are good judges. Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, been good judges. But if your initial character witness to my ideological criticisms is, well, Ed Whalen wrote this for National Review, I'm going to need a little more than that. Because he's kind of a yellow dog fed sock guy. You know, the old saying about Democrats in the South, you can nominate a yellow dog and they'd vote for him. All right. He's kind of a yellow dog fed sock. You know, that's the the abbreviation for Federalist Society, which is where, and and there's some good people there. And then there are some people that are just complete jock sniffers there, man, like everywhere else in any movement. So doesn't mean Ed is always wrong. It's just if if Ed's your initial character witness, I'm going to need a second opinion. I think that's fair at least, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Now, one thing that John said there at the end, though, that I found fascinating. And he talked about Antonin Scalia saying that, well, if abortion was in the Constitution, I would have no choice but to enforce it. That notion, and I love Antonin Scalia. I think he's the best Supreme Court justice we've had in my lifetime. But that notion um, is at the heart of how so many shows I have done columns I have written, uh, public speaking appearances I have done. In fact, pushing back against that notion is what led to the only successful removal of of Supreme Court judges in American history that I was a part of here in Iowa almost a decade ago. Because see, I don't agree with that. But I want it, but, but I can bring John back for a whole other show and we can have that conversation. I wanted it. This was really about Amy Coney Barrett, and I wanted that to be the gist of it. Okay, but what what John is articulating is a legal theory known as legal positivism, and legal positivism has a long history. If I better to put it in a nutshell, because we could trace this chase this rabbit trail until we find our own tail. But as it's interpreted nowadays, legal positivism essentially means whatever the recognized law source says is the law is the law. Now, 
It's the, the opposite of MLK. Yes, uh, it's the opposite law of, of the laws no, just, of, it's of yeah. natural law, that the yeah. laws of nature and nature's God. You know, it was, it was ironic. John invoked um, Nuremberg and talked about Pope Pius wanted hangings for the people found guilty, the Nazis found guilty at Nuremberg. Well, there was a movie made about a very famous judge that was hung at Nuremberg, and Burt Lancaster played the judge. And Spencer Tracy played the head of the Nuremberg Tribunal that tried him. Two heavyweights back in the day in Hollywood. And the movie's called Judgment at Nuremberg. And this judge's claim was that he should not have been hung as a war criminal. Because he, he tried to claim he was essentially Oscar Schindler. That, and and, there, and, the, and the, the case records show that he did actually save some people. That essentially, when he, every legal loophole, every hold, everything he could do within, within Third Reich law to stave off sending Jews to death camps, he did it. But then ultimately, when he was out of legal remedies within Third Reich law, within the civil law, we'll just go with that term. When, when he was out of legal remedies within the civil law, he said, I must I don't want to do this. It goes against my own conscience, but I have to enforce the law. And his argument at Nuremberg was, I'm a hero here. What was I supposed to do? And the Nuremberg Tribunal looked at him and said, the higher law says, thou shall not murder. That's what you were supposed to do. And they hung him with all the rest of the Nazi collaborators. They hung him to death. And there's a great scene where Spencer Tracy goes into his cell at the end of the movie and confronts him, and they, they, he finally comes to grips with, I deserve this justice. I, I violated the higher law. What is the higher law? Because John's having the argument, too, about what the higher law is. He is saying, hey, every time a pope speaks, is not, it's, not with, it's not canon. He can't just amend thousands of years of, of Catholic tradition. That's not how this works. You're ignoring the entire magisterium bureaucracy and not to mention what the explicit commands of the scriptures are on top of that, right? That's the conversation you and him were having, yeah. correct? You guys were arguing there's a higher law. Yeah. Even a higher law. And that's why I, as a, as a Protestant, wanted me and other Protestants to sit back and listen to this. You and I have disagreements, but, you are, but one of them is not that you think the Pope is the highest law. See, most Protestants think that's their disagreement with Catholics, and it's not. You guys were arguing back and forth in agreement that the Pope is not the final word, right? Correct. He's not, there's a, he's not, there, you even said every time he speaks, it's not out of the mouth of God. How many times, though, have you run into Protestant stereotypes of Catholicism that, that basically say that? Oh, it's one of the most it's obvious legion. ones. Yeah. Yes. All right. So you guys were already agreeing as Catholics, while he's arguing for legal positivism, there is a higher law. That's the argument that I've been making the entire time on this show, my entire career. There is a higher law. See, what Antonin Scalia was doing, this is the difference between an originalist and a strict constructionist. That's why we don't use terms like strict constructionist on our show. I, I try, I, it's a hard habit to break. I try not to even use the term activist judge because if, if you were a judge in the Third Reich and the Nazis said, send these Jews away and I need you to sign this court order, would you like to, be an act, would you like to have an activist judge? Just a bit. Right. I'd yeah. like an activist judge to right. be looking at the Nazis saying, I'm not signing that order. In fact, I'm going to put a restraining order on that. That's evil, right? So what, an originalist is somebody who looks at what's the original intent and context of something. See, the Constitution is not a standalone document. It's actually not the foundation of anything. 
It's the application of the foundation. The Declaration of Independence is the foundational document of America. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then the Constitution then fleshes that out and says this is how it's applied when it comes to freedom of the press, your own individual conscience, freedom of worship, etc. Okay? But if you, if you divorce the Constitution from the Declaration, then you're going to make a legal positivistic argument. Hey, abortion sucks, but hey, you, you put slavery in there. I got to enforce slavery. No, you don't. What, 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 what part of we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, lines up with slavery and abortion? Answer nothing. And so I wanted to just take a couple of minutes and touch on that. Because we have done whole shows about that. You should search our, our um, uh, podcast archive for those shows. I am sure we will do whole shows about this again in the future. Now, one of the reasons why I didn't really spend a lot of time when he was alive debating Antonin Scalia about this, even though I disagreed with him on it, is it's a little bit like why I don't disagree. I would love to have, for us to have the luxury of me being able to debate that with Antonin Scalia. Or... Some of the differences I have with libertarians, I want to have the luxury of, okay, we won the, we won the meta argument. So now we have to decide what are we going to do next? But do you know how many people would even be willing when they say they're strict constructionists to even actually do that? Very few, which is why that disagreement aside, I wasn't, we weren't at the point to even have a conversation because we, we got to have like 50 more Antonin Scalia so we can even get to the conversation that I'm trying to have right here, which is next level and is fun, fundamental to the foundation of the Republic. But you got to at least have some people that will at least do have the conviction of a Scalia to push back against what the pagans want to do to that foundation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I have some deep disagreements with libertarians, but I don't really have the luxury right now of having those arguments with them because we're under such threat systemically to our liberty that, that right now the things I have in common with them are of more preeminent importance. They're a prime directive more than having an argument that if we don't win this one, I don't ever get to have that argument with you because this is, the, this is now the all-in moment. This is the existential touch point. So I just wanted to touch on that for a second. Do you want to add any of that before we move on? I would just add, I don't, I don't think you and Scalia actually, uh, I think there's some clearing up to you, but I don't think you actually disagree because he was, he, he believe he ex- believes in the premise you talk about. He's, he's making a, a point about if, because of this higher law, if something like, as he's making that extreme argument, if something like abortion was there within the text, then it would be there because it is de facto ratified by the higher law you're talking about. So we wouldn't need to be sitting around parsing. I, that, my job would be to referee. I, I, so I don't think you guys are like really that far apart about it. He's making a point of if it's, if, if it's in the text, it's, it, reflects it, it, it the already reflects yeah. that higher law. Mm-hmm. And therefore, my, my, all of our, which he constantly was complaining about in his, his, his most scathing dissents, like just, all your humming, humming, humming is irrelevant. I agree that I agree with you. That's what he meant. But that's but, not what. But, people, yes. but yep. if you if you wield that philosophy in the hands of an Anthony Kennedy, no, I know what ends up. You end up having to do what Antonin Scalia did to Anthony Kennedy towards the end of his life when he made the extraordinary 
you know, position of a Supreme Court justice to publicly criticize and condemn yes. another justice. And he literally called his judicial philosophy cartoonish emotionalism is what he was. Yes. He didn't use those sorts of terms. Yes. But when you boiled it down, that's what he said. Why? Because if I remove the source of the highest law, mm-hmm. I'm inevitable. And then I hand that to pagans. Yes. If I say you can have all of my system and be a pagan, you know what the pagans are going to do to it? Oh, yeah. Paganize it. Yes. That's what they're going to do. And so if I don't believe in your higher law, yeah, I agree. It should be a higher law. You're right, Anton. I'm totally with you. But if I don't believe in what the real source of the higher law is, who am I going to make the higher law? Ye be like God. I'm going to make me, which is why Scalia was reading Kennedy's Mm -hmm. opinion in the Windsor opinion and realizing there's no fact here. There's no substance here. There's no legal pre. He doesn't even make it. Kenny Scalia's like, I could actually make your argument better than you. Mm-hmm. You don't even care to make an argument. It's just, it's just wanton emotionalism. Yes. And you know why you got there? It's because you handed them their legal positivistic premise from the very beginning. No, you take an oath to God, not the Constitution. The oath is to God to defend the Constitution. All right. So ultimately, the authority is who you take an oath to. Who do you take an oath to? God. So who's the higher power in the authority? God. Amen. I agree Scalia understands that. But if we grant that point on any level, though, it's it's Chesterton. Once the government removes the God, the government yes. will become yes. the God. Yes. That's all I'm saying. So that that's a good segue to a question I got today from a listener. And his name's Matt Youngblood, and he sent me a piece over at the Christian Post. And it's about the misuse of Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Um, and, and he wanted to know what I thought of this person's criticism of the use of this in American politics. My, my initial plan was I was going to read this guy's piece and then comment on it. After reading it, though, I'm not going to do that. Because I've got some um, uh, uh, spidey sense. For example, the use of the term BCE rather than before Christ. What, what kind of a Christian would ever use? Maybe if you're in an academic setting, you're trying to be enormously accommodating, fine. But you're writing for the Christian post and you're dropping BCE. I went to the guy's website, looked at some other stuff, and I'm like, eh. So it, this, you know, this strikes me as the Jim Wallace. And if I'm wrong, by the way, you know, by, by all means, prove me I'm wrong, and I'll correct the record. But this strikes me as the typical Jim Wallace-esque sleight of hand, which is make the correct criticism of conservative evangelicalism, but not for the purposes of putting it on the path to orchid, back on the narrow road to orthodoxy, but instead trying to get it to come over to my street that leads to the road of perdition as well, because I prefer my heresy to yours, right? Yeah. Okay. And and all, if I'm wrong, I'll admit it. I've just seen these sorts of phrases and and constructions before, and that's and every time I've seen them before, maybe this is the exception. This guy's earnest, and if he is, I'll apologize. But every other time I've seen it done this way, it's to, hey. Stop being shills for the Republicans and come over here and shill for Democrats instead. It, it's always the end game of this. Maybe this is not the case here, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a point. So one of my best friends, we have him on the show on a regular basis, Bob Vanderplatz. This verse right now is, is the fundamental verse of his entire organization. 
so is he in error? Well, it you know, you know a tree by its fruit, right? Now, I don't believe the United States is the new Israel. I don't believe the United States is um, a, a, a divinely inspired country. I do believe the United States has sought divine guidance as a country. One is the notion that you have a prophetic role in God's plan. The other is the recognition that for you to flourish, you need the blessing of God. Those are two totally different things. They may sound like they're, they're not all that dissimilar, but they are. They're a distinction with a pretty big difference. All right? So there's a reason I don't believe the Bible's in prophecy or, or, the, or the, the America's in prophecy or any of that. I don't believe any of that stuff. And this guy's right in pointing out all those fallacies out. But that, but that doesn't mean if you are a Christian that the, the promises that were made to God's covenant people in the Old Testament I mean, this guy claims he's a, he's a professor of New Testament theology. Well, one of the key teachings of the New Testament, written by a Jew himself, Paul, is this notion of being grafted in. Meaning that now that, now that God's covenant has expanded through Christ to Gentiles, and the rest of, and the, rest of the world, you are grafted into the covenant. That has existed from the very beginning of time. So this idea that we as Christians can't take anything that occurred in the Old Testament and draw any parallel to it in our day and time, that's, a, that's an old heresy, by the way. Like the Old Testament, there's two different gods. That's not true. That doesn't mean this verse doesn't get bastardized all the time. I see it in American conservative politics all the time. But you know a tree by its fruit, Right. What's fascinating is since Bob Vanderplatz and the organization that he runs, the family leader, since they installed this as essentially the fundamental guidepost verse of their organization, what's been fascinating is they have become far more principled than they already were as an organization because they recognize that this verse isn't to the United States of America. It's to God's covenant people. Meaning that if you are a Christian and you live in and you live in um, you know Ilan Omar's Somalia, if you have a covenant people of God in Somalia, Zimbabwe, Antarctica, you can pray this verse with confidence that if you follow God's redemptive plan for you as His covenant people, He will answer. You have the same blessed assurance. This is a timeless assurance. Yes, it was meant at the time. It, to say it was meant at the time for Israel, I believe, is actually poor theology. It was meant for God's covenant people. There's nothing special about Israel. They're just another country unless they're God's covenant people. Does that make sense? Of course. It's a covenantal promise. And I agree that it's not made to the United States of America. It's made to God's covenant people. And, and so if you are a member of the family of God, anywhere in the world today, and you want this blessing for, your, for you, wherever you're planted, 
for your land as part of God's covenant people. You know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. In any other context, this is essentially saying, if you obey me and follow what I have revealed to you is best for you to do and live the life that I, that, that would bless you to live because it's what's right as opposed to what's wrong. I'm going to bless that and good things will happen to you. That's, that's pretty basic theism. That's a pretty basic. And, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah. And so, thank God that's true because that may be the place all three of us have to move. Someday. No doubt. Yes. You can get this blessing if you are living in a Chinese underground church and you, you're, you're getting it right now because you're watching. You're more likely to become a Christian if you're born in Beijing, China than in Boston, Massachusetts. That is a fact. Think those people aren't humbling themselves under threat of the Shycom government that Trump's sending hosannas out to yesterday? You think they're not sitting in the, in the, in the sewers of China? Hidden in the rice paddy fields of rural China, humbling themselves, praying, seeking God's face? Repenting of their sins, which is another way of saying turning from the wicked ways. Don't think God hasn't heard their, heard their pleas from heaven. Well, when you look at the ranks that are swelling over there, certainly seems like they ask. See, that's why I was very suspicious of this piece. Because this seems like an attempt to Robert Jeffress everybody. Everybody's Robert Jeffress. Everybody's Jerry Falwell Jr. That you couldn't possibly faithfully follow the word of God and still be a Republican, or still be a this, or... So that the only way you can do it now is to join join my heresy instead. Join, join. That's what worries me about the path that the Beth Moore folks are going down. I don't disagree with almost any of their, their fundamental criticisms of the Christian right. What I want to see is if they disagree with them. Because if your answer to Robert Jeffress is... Um, I'm getting all these racist compl- Christian, I'm seeing all this Christian racism and we call you and email you on a not inconsequential platform, by the way, and say, hey, can you give us some examples of them and how many have we gotten so far? Zero. Zero. Well, then it sounds to me like maybe you just kind of want to do a different thing than the Christian right. You're not looking for some kind of narrow road. You're looking for your your road. You want people on your road instead. And that's the vibe I got from reading this. Now, I agree with the the criticism that if you are assuming this is about the United States of America, that's that's false teaching. But there's no reason that Christians in the United States of America could not have this hope, as could Christians that live in any country or anybody that's a part of God's covenantal family anywhere in the world, could have the hope that if they worship God, obey God, and repent of their sins, God will bless them. I mean, he already has. Because the greatest blessing of them all is his son. That's why I don't understand this entire argument. It's specious. It strikes me as, you guys really need a shield for Democrats instead. But hey, maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, by all means, you guys can send me some evidence that that's not the case. But every time I have seen an argument like this, it has been to prepare the way for the new, worldly, syncretistic, false teaching slash heresy because the old one, we, you know, doesn't make us as much money as this one would. More in a moment. 
of Americans struggling with chronic pain. This is pain in the body from inflammation. Relief may just be a starter kit away. How about a dollar a day to give something a shot? I mean, if you don't want to believe that what I'm saying about relief factor is true, because I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I mean, it's, it's made a huge impact uh, in, in my daily life. So it's going to be a part of my regimen for the foreseeable future. But if you don't want to take my word for it, how about we offer you this? A dollar a day for three weeks to see if it works for you. That's it. 20 bucks, a buck a day. All right. You got to have that just in, you know, changing the couch cushions or in what you used to call an ashtray in a car. All right. And, and here's why it works. Four key natural ingredients, 100% drug free, because the, the doctors that created this understand the body is a created machine. It's not an upright, randomly evolved vat of chemicals. And it was created to push back on inflammation. I mean, if you have an injury, you've got an, an illness that's causing pain, get professional medical care. But if it's chronic pain from inflammation, your body was made to push back on that. It just may, me, may need what relief factor has to offer to make it so. All right. So if you finally want to get over all of that chronic pain, what do you have to lose for a dollar a day? Except maybe finally, hopefully the pain, go to relieffactor.com. Again, that's relieffactor.com. Aaron, during the break, you were telling me that uh, you did some research on the guy who wrote this piece that we were talking about, about Second Chronicles 714 for the Christian Post. And I had mentioned there just some, were some catchphrases and stuff there that set my spidey sense off, that I've seen some of this sleight of hand before, right? Well, while I was talking, you did a little digging on the author of the piece. What'd you find out? Yeah, I was just sitting over here chuckling because this guy has had uh, <clears throat> issues in the past with the divine inspiration of the Word of God. Uh, most notably, for example, he, he believes the first few cha- chapters of Genesis are a quote-unquote myth uh, he's more than willing, he's signaled he's more than willing to use extra biblical sources to verify the uh, the veracity of the claims of the Word of God, that it actually is the Word of God. Instead of coming from the top down, he's coming from right. the bottom up. And I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm chuckling at that because on the one hand, he's had this past with kind of questioning, I'm putting it very mildly, you know, the divine inspiration, but yet when it comes to Second Chronicle, or when it comes to the verse that we, we talked about, uh, you know, 714, if, um, if, if, uh, if, if this is really the Word of God, then, um, then, then why don't you just say that as well? I, I mean, he's just picking and choosing what he believes, seemingly, what he believes to be the sure. divine-inspired Word of God. So I just thought that was kind of That's fun. typical. Well, then all of my spidey senses have been confirmed by just what you found out. And that's that's typically how this works. All right, Rob Bell doesn't hit... The first book he writes is not Love Wins and There's No Hell. No, he's going to milk you. He's going to play to your carnality by milking you for a few New York Times bestsellers. Because once he writes that book, he won't have any bestsellers anymore. You know, and he'll have to just do token appearances on Oprah and, and, you know, siphon off her exhaust to live. That's what he's doing now. Okay. You know, but, but he's got to, he's got to rake you over the coals for some cashish before he does that. So he's going to write Sex God and all those books first. All right. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to, uh, Bazier Ripple. Uh, he's going to, he's going to, uh, you know, uh, uh, scratch your itching ears, pet your uh, tummy for you. He's going to feed your carnality. He's going to give you what you want in very little, tiny, subtle doses. And then once he's drawn you in and you're emotionally attached and you're just, you're buying his books whenever they come out now, 
after a period of time, that's when the forked tongue will reveal itself. All right, so this is, this is not a new game. The, the devil doesn't have any new tactics, just a greatest hits album, and just re-racks it. You know, we fall for it because we like to. And one of its common tactics is, is to correctly and accurately point out when, when orthodoxy is wrong or has gone nuts or lost its damn mind. And you're like, yeah, I totally agree with that. And then, and then once you're, you're softened up, it's to then say, and you know, well, I mean, that's not going to work. You're going to have to do something instead. You know, speaking you of know? the first few chapters of Genesis, that sounds really... Yeah, what happened in the first few chapters really of Genesis? Familiar. Did some, somebody come along and say, did God really say... Just a little bit of truth. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Let's get to three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on The Steve Day Show. Because you know it, I know it, we all know it. We need a little break from the continued demise and fall of Western civilization. It is three non-political questions on the Steve Dace Show. It's a segment that I actually prep for by myself and put as little effort into as possible. First question. So like everything else other than the montage. What, uh, what is on your Mount Rushmore of favorite <laughs> questions that I've asked during three questions? <laughs> Respect. I'm, I deserve that. I know. Uh, I, and I, I deserved it. Well played. Well played. Yeah. Uh, for the first, uh, for the new Joker movie, what would it take for it to be considered good or even great in your eyes? Do we get a true depiction of evil? Meaning that it is its own viable, objective, independent force. And that, but at the same time, usually something occurs to us that makes us receptive to it at the at the full Monty level, the full dark embrace level, when we're no longer dabbling, but just completely given over to it. When 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 two have become one in this in this arena, so to speak, in the shadows. If I would like for for to me for it to be a great movie, I would like for it to depict that, which would be the in a in a, in a way the antithesis of what Wonder Woman does, where intentionally or not, it has a phenomenally orthodox theological plotline storyline, um, and execution to it. If you're going to do this character right then you have to show the antithesis of that for real. Okay. And um, that's what I would look for. What do you think, Todd? That's, that's interesting. You know, Wonder Woman at the end, she, she, when she finally kills Ares and, and it happens and you, that they pull off their gas masks and the peace comes over them. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's really well done. You're talking about 
the opposite. What, yep. what happens when all creation groans under the weight of sin on every level? Yep. And that can that can be done really ham-handed, and we talked about our concerns about that, uh, or if, if, if this is right. And it's funny, right before you came on, uh, I saw, uh, I haven't read the review yet, but Kyle Smith from National Review, who does their movie reviews, and I oftentimes disagree with him, but he's always interesting. And he said... Joker is so drenched in its seamy milieu that you can practically feel the roaches skittering under your feet. It's not for everyone, but I was blown away. Now, not having read it, that seems to be getting a little bit mm-hmm. to what we're talking about. I mean, it seems to be saying it it goes there. You should, you know, I'm. how do I put this? I really don't want this to seem egotistical. But in, in many respects, what we're describing is what I was going for with a nefarious plot. Yeah, yeah. Where at first you you like this character in spite of yourself because you share some of his laments. And now that I think about it, you know, we talked about why are we seeing some leftists now turning against this movie when they loved it before? And now you're seeing Todd Phillips come out, the director, go after woke culture and everything else. Well, here's another theory we could have. In that in the beginning... Arthur Fleck is your downtrodden working class anti-hero. And the 1% is putting him down. And he has all the same societal laments of today's glitterati and, and, and enlightened progressive people. And maybe what they really don't like is their own reflection. That he takes it to its most, he takes, he takes what they write and print to its most logical Antifa conclusion. And maybe that's what they don't like. Maybe that level of honesty, because when you read a nefarious plot, you will, you will at first, if I did it right, find yourself laughing with Lord Nefarious in spite of yourself, sharing some of his disdain and, and laments for nut job Christian leaders and lazy people, right? Mm-hmm. But, but the, it's at first, but then there's a turn and another turn and it gets darker and darker and darker. And then you realize that what the joke is really on you. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this movie pulls that off. And I wonder if, if the leftists who don't like it, maybe that's really, they picked up on that. That it never, it, see, nef, I never take the foot off the gas with Lord Nefarious. Oh no. And it ends Thelma and Louise style, man. They go over a cliff yeah. with an explosion. There, there's never, he doesn't, there's no out. Hey, where's my utopia? Yeah, there's, there's no, there's no maybe you got nothing. Yep. I mean, he, I mean, he just keeps pushing his foot on the pedal until it's only at the end when he, he meets the floor of the, of the vehicle. And I wonder if Joker maybe does that too, which is, yeah, you're right. You're laughing at Thomas Wayne and all those, you know, white, but but then when, 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 he, when, he, when he has no moral filter to pull him back from the brink of his laments and just gives himself over to the rage, he essentially makes the transition from 1619 Project at the New York Times to Antifa. And I wonder if that's maybe what they're rebelling against. And I'm just telling you, I think you just keep... Right, it, the headline... A Joker, the most unsettling of all comic book movies. The supervillain origin story is a mesmerizing vista of one man's crumbling soul. It speaks to everything you're saying. It, there's no shiny. 
object to dangle over the end, it's it's going to leave you feeling See, that was my despair. What, 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 the reason I was out about a month ago is the second trailer made it look like this was his redemption story. Correct. That he was he, he, he's redeemed as an antihero because Correct. of the, the heteronormative patriarchy he's pushing back against. Hell no, I'm out. But if you're going to give me a true portrait of nihilism, yep. I know I always tell you I hate nihilism. You know why? Because it's presented as redemptive. That's why I don't like it. That you finally have figured it out. There's no hope whatsoever. Yeah. That's that's when I can't watch. But if you're going to hold up a reflection in nihilism and force it to look at itself yep. for what it really is, then you bet I'll sit there like a sociologist in the movie theater taking notes, watching how people react to that. All right? You sure you really want to go here? You sure this is the... You sure you, sure you really mean all of those words and phrases you're putting on your websites and in your newspapers? Are you sure? You sure you really want to go here to the end? If that's the movie that we get, I'm all in on that. But we'll see. I think for me, based on the comments and in the context of some of the comments by the director of this uh, new Joker movie, I think for me, if it effectively, and it sounds like they tried to make it a, a kind of funny, like a dark dark humor type of, t- type of thing, or dark comedy, I should say, um, it, if it makes you uncomfortable and laughing at the same time, kind of a la Dave Chappelle, that, yep. that uh, special yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah. I think that's probably what's going to make me consider it good or success or maybe even great because, I mean, Todd and I talked about this at the time as well. It, it, the, the Dave Chappelle thing forces you to think, makes you really comfort, uh, uncomfortable, but you're also like, <laughs> I don't, you know, it's an uncomfortable. Should I be laughing at should this? Should I be laughing yes. at that, yeah. that type of thing? Yeah, good analogy. Well, I, I got to read this one. It says, this is the embodiment. The director, Todd Phillips, Issues entertainment and dares to repel a sizable proportion of the potential audience. That's exactly what you just said. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Question number two. What's on your Mount Rushmore of websites, <laughs> excluding social media? Uh, things that I visit every day. Yeah. Um, uh, well, for me, my own Michigan website. Um, Wolverine Digest, the Wolverine, which is the Rivals one, uh, Michigan Insider, which is the 24-7 sports one. I mean, those are the first three websites I visit every day because I just I can't start the day with the news. I, gotta, I, I, I can't. Got to ease into it. I do. All right. And then after that, after I get caught up on what's going on with, uh, with my Wolverines, <laughs> the next thing I'll go to is Twitter. Now, now I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm doled. Okay. I can't start the day with my job. I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's another, it's too that's hard. Another, that's another way of looking at it, I suppose. Uh, but then I'll go to Twitter to kind of figure out what's... And I, I follow a, a wide menagerie of people because I, in theological news and sports circles simultaneously so I can get a good, well-rounded look at what's, the, you know, what's trending uh, you know, in our world first thing in the morning. That's, that's typically how my day begins. You know, I used to have a good answer for this when I, back when I subscribed to magazines. But man, I mean, there's—I don't have a Mount Rushmore anymore. I mean, I would—the uh, things I read more often than not are uh, the Federalist, uh, the—I uh, I, suppose—I suppose ESPN is still up there just by default. But it's, I, that's why I use Twitter is so that yeah, I can yeah. just figure out what I want to see yeah. at all these yeah. sites in a given time. That's why, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I. It's just it's it's through the fire hose. I don't. I, I, yeah. See, if I didn't have Twitter, I couldn't answer this question because I'd be sitting there doing exactly what yeah. you're doing right now. All right, because I'd, I'd literally have to visit like 25, 30 websites mm-hmm. in the first hour and a half. I'm up every day. Mm-hmm. You know, so Twitter as a news aggregator 
saves me a lot of time. Uh, for me, it's um, probably ESPN, uh, Arrowhead Pride, which is the SB Nation, Kansas City Chiefs website. Um, the Blaze, I always, I, I've always looked at kind of what's uh, trending on there. Um, and, then, uh, and then I'm going in the Wayback Machine for this one because, like you, Twitter just aggregates everything for me, which is the reason that I asked this question. Uh, but this website, I don't know if it's still around, but it's StumbleUpon, and you basically just hit a button, and it comes up. You, you fill out a bunch of interests, and you just hit a, a button, and it brings up a random article. Hit another button, it brings up another. It's Google? Really, it's really, really cool. Google does not count. Okay. That's, uh, I thought that's what you were describing. Uh, no, it's Google not. Does, Google no, does it, that, it too. Google stuff that you didn't know you wanted to okay. Google for you. Okay. Yeah, that's All basic. Right. Uh, question number three, final question. Really important one. Uh, definitely, definitely not awkward or cheesy whatsoever. Um, <laughs> if your personality were a breed of dog, what dog would it be? My personality were a breed of dog. What dog would it be? That is a hard question. Um, you know what? I, do you have an answer for this? Well, I'm, I do, but I'm trying to think of the... What the breed of the dog the is? The breed of the dog is. I. Oh, oh. Ah. It'd be funny if we asked if we answered this for the other person. No, <laughs> I could see that setup coming along. Oh, Instantly, so our audience is like <laughs> getting off of here. Maybe I'll go with like a golden retriever for me. Maybe a little bit Are larger. Are you kidding me? Did uh, you say that out loud? I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's I don't like know. It's like the nicest dog in the world. You're but, not but a it's, golden it could, it could get big and nasty if it had to. No? What would you say? For you? Yeah. Well, well if you're going to... Maybe, I don't know. Bulldog? I don't know. I don't, I don't, this is a hard question. It, you're not a golden retriever. German Shepherd? We're closer. Okay. Closer. Right. Police dog? Yeah, there's. Right, I'll, I'll go. I'll go with German Shepherd then. I guess you go ahead. You, you yeah, give I need this a, a dog. Shot. I need a dog that barks a lot, but is not. But is is playful. A Chihuahua. No. 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 <laughs> no. That was the suggestion of our voice in the air. I liked it, so I said it out loud. Uh, for me, it's a hippogriff. Fictional. You went. It, it's a, yes. You went fictional. Yeah, he 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 should be punched. You still haven't answered the question, though. You rejected Chihuahua. What would you like? That's definitely Yo quiero uh, answer, since you rejected Chihuahua. Like a boxer. Okay. Boxer. Yeah, I could see that. Very high energy. Yeah. Um, kind of hard to settle down. Yeah. But also very nice, not menacing. Can be menacing, but not menacing, you know. I feel so close to you guys now. What? Wow, this is some great bonding experience, talking about what dog breeds we'd be. Well, I, I thought we said dog breed and not Harry Potter, mythical creature. All I can think I'm of a little bit disappointed that you didn't even call me out that a hippogriff isn't even a dog. Yeah, I, I know that. Okay. But I don't want to get your nasty emails about how I'm now promoting witchcraft. I'd like you just oh, to be right. the sole repository of those. those. Yep. All right. You've We're, got enough on your plate? Yes, I've got enough. Thank you. We are out of here. Going to do some overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, see you tomorrow. John 317. 
This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.